your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a really exciting episode for you. We're going to talk about moissanite, which is an alternative to diamond. It's actually naturally occurring and there's a lot of uh, pretty neat information on this subject tonight. We'll talk about the natural type, we'll talk about the man-made type, and how you can actually use it in a ring. Um, we're going to talk a lot about gold tonight. We're going to talk about how robots are mining. We're going to talk about gold zones. And we're going to talk about Nevada gold. Also, we're going to talk about some fossils briefly and a little human interest story in there as well. But before we get started, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. As always, supporting our blog at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com. I'll leave that link in the description. You can also find us on Parlor or MeWe or Facebook. Uh, we have a new video on the YouTube channel where we went up and mined some atenolite and uh, found a tiny bit of rhodonite. And um, you can go on those adventures with us and look at those different uh, videos if you are so inclined. Um, also, you'll notice at the site we do have um, a... Uh, PayPal link for donations because right now we're not being monetized um, by Anchor for some reason. We're waiting for a sponsor on that. So if you feel so inclined, thank you in advance. So let's get right into it, guys. We've got a really jam-packed episode today, and I don't want to miss any of it with you. So we're going to get started. One of the first things, um, we are going to be talking quite a bit about Gold. I hope you like gold. Um, it's really we're going to be all over the map today. Gold, gemstones, diamonds, um, and moissanite. Now, Nevada is America's gold mining and exploration leader. Um, the Deep Dive CA had an article on it that was really great about this, uh, written on October the 11th by Phil uh, Garcin. And um, he says here, he's talking about a mining um, a, a company, a mining discovery uh, near the town of Carlin, Nevada. And I'm not going to, of course, tell you everything about this article, but I'm going to tell you some very interesting things about this mining. Um, that region was primarily discovered as a silver region. You know, after the gold rush, there was the Comstock loan, Virginia uh, load, the Virginia City. Uh, if you've ever been there, it's a pretty, pretty fun trip. There's a lot of old buildings there and stuff and mining history. But Virginia City became the area of the Comstock, which produced over $7 million in gold and silver. And you got to remember that was way back when it was, you know, $20, $30, 8.4 ounces of gold. So there was other discoveries around these areas, too. Uh, Tonopah, the Milfa mine, another 114 million from 1900 to 1920. All kinds of rich gold and silver discoveries here. Now, since um, even the 70s, there's been new mining in Nevada um, that has been one of the huge areas for gold mining. Open pit mining allowed them to get these low-grade ores very inexpensively in an open pit mine, but there's also richer deposits being found. Now, today, Nevada accounts for 78% of all the gold mined in the USA and a staggering 5% of the world's total population in 2018. This is when Nevada produced over 5.5 million ounces of gold. 
So um, there's a neat map here that shows where all the major mines are that are in Nevada. And you can check out that topography if you want. Mountain ranges are roughly 80 miles long and 10 miles wide in these areas that are um, were once created by volcanic activity. And these plates that were moving along caused this mineral-rich magma to rise to the Earth's surface. Now. Uh, we will talk about some of the details on how all these deposits happened, but in this article here, I think it was this article, um, it talked about some that it is still going to be one of the major producers and they're doing a lot of exploration. There's a lot of Canadian companies that are actually doing exploration in Nevada and they give a list of all these different mines and the amount of gold that's being pulled out of them is really really impressive. So you might want to check that article out. Now there's a modern day gold rush going on in Western Australia. There's an article in www.abc.net.au called Modern Day Gold Rush in WA as mining executives flock to Coolgorite for diggers and dealers written by Jared Lucas and basically there's just a boom there um, where gold is being mined and the production is up and um, exploration is up and there's just millions of dollars being spent on gold exploration there and this boom is uh, after 127 years ago when gold was first discovered in this area so there's a lot of information on this, um, how the activity has intensified, the drilling, the investment dollars, and things like that. If you are so interested, you can read that in depth. Um, but what I want to talk about now, there was another gold article here. Um, we'll read it in a little bit. One fossil news. In weather.com, researchers discover a new unique species of dinosaur with parrot-like beak and just two fingers. Now, this was uh, written by weather.com on two days ago by Marig Kish Dixit. So if you want to look that up, there's pictures of the dinosaur there. It was some six and a half foot tall bird. Um, and they found some very intact um, fossils of this creature. This was in China, I believe. Was it in China? hope I'm not getting confused with one of the other stories I read. Um, but it was very different looking from anything they've seen before. And, of course, they're suggesting... Oh, the Gobi Desert. I'm sorry, it was the Gobi Desert. They're suggesting that this could be some sort of a link between um, species of dinosaurs and birds. But uh, whatever the case is, really interesting pictures, and they did find these um, almost complete fossils, so really a neat discovery of a new uh, fossil if you're into fossils. Now, another quick story was the oldest monkey fossils found outside of Africa. Um, these were what was found in China, and you can see this at www.thehindu.com. Um, the article was... Mm, I don't see a date on it. Um, oh, here it is. October 11th. Um, doesn't look like there's... PTI is the only name or initials I see crediting here. But the scientists believe that these monkeys, uh, they look a lot like lemurs, um, were probably jack-of-all-trades, able to navigate trees and on land, 
and their teeth indicate they could uh, eat a wide variety of plants, fruits, and flowers. Now you look at them and um, the bones, they did not find a whole bunch of them. Um, but uh, they found some jaw bones and some fragments, so they're having to try to piece this together from other species that are familiar. Now let's talk about um, a, a robbery that took place. This is in sfltimes.com. It was written by Zinger News October 9th. Spanish police seize 176K worth of illegal fossils, and they have pictures here where there's dinosaur eggs, dinosaur creatures, complete dinosaurs, and they were found in Spain. Um, somehow these were, um, were illegally imported from a museum that, um, that came, they came from Argentina, uh, Argentine, Ar Argentina, and, um, they will be finding their way back home. There are some pictures of some of these creatures here, which are some pretty impressive, uh, fossils that they have, but, uh, they will be making their way back. They feel that, uh, they will be transported safely and returned to the museum in uh, Argentina where they belong. Now, we were talking about gold. I'm sorry I'm skipping around, but it's just the way I have everything formatted. i got to grab what I can. Um, robots are going to be revolutionizing mining. And the article's entitled, Here is How Robots Are Revolutionizing Mining, in the bbntimes.com. And that was written by Naveen Joshi on the 10th of uh, last month. And it says that many of these tasks, if you've ever been in a mine, a real deep mine, which which I've been in a few. Um, in fact, I was down over half mile underground in a mine that went down a whole mile, and um, you know it's uh, things go weird there. Walls stretch and explode from the pressure. Sometimes the earth is moving down there. It gets hot down there, um, so it's dangerous. And especially when you're moving new earth and doing the explosions and things like this. And these are all things. And harmful gases can escape. And, you know, people can grab their rebreathers and try to, to survive. And it's, although the death toll is down quite a bit, um, you know, it's been at all-time lows in the last few years, um, it still happens. And these are usually right at the point where the main drilling, when the new drilling is taking place, and the explosive work and stuff like that. So these um, robots are actually going to enable it where even mines that are closed right now, because a lot of times mines close because of uh, gases or they were flooded, you know, they were started back before the war or whatever. And uh, once they closed down, they just couldn't, you know, start back up again. And uh, these are really going to help revitalize um, the, uh, the mineral and mines and stuff like that. And there's a huge demand for minerals and mining right now because um, what's happening is there's a huge demand for the electric cars, the rare earths, the batteries, you know, all this so-called green energy takes a lot of minerals and a lot of mining. Um, it's really going to put a stress on it. Now, I think I did find the last gold article. Now, this was really cool. This is the one that has some of the details in it. And I hemmed and hawed on how deep we would go in it, so I'm going to try to find middle ground on it. But it's it's called. Um, it says the seven Mose Coats uh, gold project uh, project from discovery to production. So it's quite a lengthy article from Jessica Bogosan. Uh, it was written on October the eighth, and you can find it on www.geologyforinvestors.com. But what they do here is uh, it's talking about 
some of these gold that's been discovered. This is in northern Ontario, Canada, at this Koto Gold Deposit. Um, and they have a picture here of these uh, molybdenite and then the free gold. And they talk about in great detail, uh, if you really like geology and you really like that high-tech, um, you know, in-depth explanation, it goes into how this green belt, the Swayze uh, green belt in the southwest area here is this huge area where there's a large ancient igneous and metamorphic rocks belt, which is the core of the North American continent continent and contains substantial ore deposits. Um, it's 100 miles long and it includes this Koto Gold project and they have a map here that shows all these different areas. These green belts are actually volcanic sedimentary basins that are intrinsically associated with granite intrusions that have been metamorphosized, metamorphosed and then the terrains are known to host large gold deposits. However, the exact source of gold continues to be a matter of contention. Now, they go through several different um, ideas where the ore forms through fluids that come through intrusions. Others believe dehydration from rocks during metamorph uh, you know, metamorphosizing um, and other theories. So one thing they do know is that they find the gold that is dominated by this tunnelite with a minor diorite and hydrothermal break of bodies. And they have figures of this, and you can see these actual types of rocks that formed where the gold shows up. And they go into great detail how this mineralization takes place. So within the, the, mag, the magma and the hydrothermal break of bodies, there is this sheeted uh, veins that ha veining that happens and it is disseminated on these ore bearing sulfite materials in this tonalic and diorotic rocks and they have a figure there that shows them so they have the breca mix they have the tonalite they have just the breca and then they have the diorite so they have these four major types of where the gold is settling into and how it happens. So it's really interesting. Um, you can go into this in quite some depth. It's very uh, pretty, pretty good read and learn more about gold and how it forms in these green belts, um, which are common and familiar throughout North America. Now, diamonds. Um, this story sounds familiar. I'm not sure if it's the same story that we've talked about before, but it popped up again on my search. It's at www.forbes.com. It was written on October the 12th, the world's largest vivid purple and pink diamond. And this is going up for auction soon. It is expected to go up to $38 million. They have a picture of this spectacular, beautiful pink gem called the Spirit of the Rose. It is a fancy, vivid pink purple. It is internally flawless and uh, it is a whopper it is 27.87 carat uh, clear pink oval shaped gem that was um, unearthed about three years ago at the mine in um, Republic of Sheka in northeast Russia 
So it is a real beauty and uh, looks like that will be selling soon. Now, uh, one little human interest story before we get into moissanite. And that is in the www.9 and the word and 10news.com, October 9th, written by Brighead Driscoll. And it's entitled GT Pulse Grand Traverse Area Rock and Mineral Club is 50 years old. And this is in Michigan. And it's just a nice write up about this uh, rock and gym and mineral club that uh, is 50 years old. The Grand Traverse Area Rock and Mineral Club, uh, 50 years old. And um, they've been doing trips, they do education, they make cabajons, um, you know, and they've just expanded um, to give information. Uh, there's members span from geologists to people who know next to nothing and jewelry makers and everything in between. So um, uh, it says even if you only know two kinds of rocks, the big ones and the little ones, they've got a place for you there in that club so it goes on about the club there and when they meet and things like that and we just wanted to give a shout out to that um, because they're keeping rock hounding alive and you know radical rocks that's that's our motto is that we're having fun with rocks we're sharing our rock trips with you we're sharing in-depth information we're sharing current discoveries and news shop tips um, mineral identification, lapidary skills, silversmithing, all that stuff, and promoting these clubs that are educating people and keeping this alive. Okay, so let's get into our our main um, our main event, I guess you could say. So, um, monsonite. What is it? Okay, monsonite is actually a natural occurring silicon carbon in its various crystal polymorphs. It has um, a chemical formula which is S large S small I C and it is a rare mineral that was discovered by the French chemist Henry Moissan in 1893. The silicon carbon is useful for commercial and industrial applications due to its hardness, its optical properties and thermal conductivity. So um, this rock is extremely rare to find. Um, it says that the rock samples first came from meteors, and originally it was thought to only have come from meteors. In Canyon Diablo, Arizona in 1893, they were first mistakenly identified as diamonds, but in 1904, um, Mr. Moisson identified the crystals as silicon carbide. So now... Um, artificial silicon carbide has been synthesized by an Edward G. Ashson, and um, he this is what's led to um, them being made in a lab, so to speak, and um, they're very popular. Now, until the 1950s, there was no other source for monsonite other than meteorites, but in 1958, monsonite was found in the Green River Formation in Wyoming following year in a kimberlite um, which is a diamond mine um, in the town we were just talking about where that pink diamond came from um, 
It's in it's in Russia. It's called it's Y A K U T I A Yakuta, and they found it there. But monsonite has been questioned as late as 1986 by the American geologist Charles Milton. But uh, finding monsonite in its natural form is very rare. It's discovered in very few rocks from the upper mantle to meteorites. And discoveries show it occurs naturally as inclusions in diamonds. Okay. Um, and other rocks, kimberlite, uh, lamperite, and also identified as pre-solar grains and other meteorites. Okay. Um, sources of it today are mostly synthetic. So they grow this uh, silic silicon carbide in a lab. And then they use um, different techniques to to compress it and heat it and make it uh, make it what it is. It's very hard. It's nine and a half on the hardness scale. It actually uh, looks a lot like a diamond to the untrained eye once it's been cut, and um, it uh, does refract light like a diamond. Similarly. Actually, it sparkles a little bit more than diamond. The refract refraction, which is just the reflection of light, how it goes in and comes out um, and disperses its colors, like in a diamond, depending on the cut and all that, the more light you get. Depending on the stone and the makeup of it, the more refraction you get. So moissanite has a very large refraction uh, property that gives it makes it look very sparkly. Okay. Um, the commercial brand is patented, and uh, they did uh, their patent ran out. So um, it was originally patented by Charles and Colvert, um, formerly known as C3 Incorporated. And since the patent has let out, um, a lot of other brands have come in. But the most famous one was the trademark Forever One, Forever Brilliant, and Forever Classic. So now there's many more that are making these uh these stones. So um, they have a little picture of it here, and it, it has a flat plane on it, and um, it's very, very hard to find in its natural state. But if you do find it, um, or if you buy it, uh, a nice article came out by RioGrande.com. They email these to me regularly. Rio Grande is a jewelry um, maker's supply house, basically. And um, I'm not receiving anything for mentioning them. I'm just telling you that they're there. And they are selling the Charles and Colvert created moissanite. And um, there it registers 9.25 on the Mohs scale, second only to the diamond, 10. Very scratch resistant. And they have guidelines um, to help you when you're working with the tool on your bench when you're working with the gemstone on your bench. So they say it's not prone to damage, but careful attention needs to be paid when you're placing this in a ring and a setting to the girdles, the edges, and any other sharp points on your stone. Unlike a diamond, moissanite does not have a cleavage direction, so it's impossible to chip or break the stone by exerting too much pressure on these points. This is especially true for gem cuts that feature more pronounced angles these must be pronounced from unnecessary pressure from tools, settings, or adjacent gemstones. So setting monsonite 
um, is a lot like setting uh, other faceted stones or a diamond as far as that goes with a low percentage of breakage not like an emerald which will chip very easily I can tell you that from sad experience um, but you use setting tools such as the flat and the onglet uh, gravers and they must have a, a Mohs hardness of six um, so a Mohs hardness of six will not scratch moissanite however you should be cautious around the griddle or the faceted edges of the gemstone when using any tool and when setting multiple moissanite gemstones always leave some space between the adjacent gems now they have a diagram here of the prong setting and a proper prong setting the prong should uh, be cut and the setting of the stone should not be too difficult if it's cut properly if your setting has been pre-cut make sure that the bottom of the set of the seat is parallel with the pavilion of the jewel if it's not parallel the point of contact will put undue pressure on the, the girdle and possibly cause a chip just like it would on a diamond recut the seat and continue to adjust the bottom edge until it is completely flush with the gemstone so basically you think of the prong and how it goes around the girdle a you don't want it um, to be um, cut too deep where the the diamond doesn't go all the way into the corner and you don't want it to be cut uh you know uh, into the 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 depth of the of the cut of the prong and you don't want the top of the prong to be cut right and then the bottom to be out too far where the diamond is just floating around okay so they have a really good thing here and they talk about how to trim the prongs after setting uh, you only use a, a promise abrasive wheels, rubber wheels that contain silica carbide or corundum, um, or diamond abrasives will scratch the stone. So corundum or diamonds are going to scratch it, so you don't want to use those. Use the pumice abrasive wheel. Um, they have other advice for um, burring, deburring the edges with a 90 heart bearing burr and uh, that will be an angle more parallel with the cut of the jewel and give better support for your gemstone they also talk about beadwork um, with moissanite and um, how how to set it when you have beads raised above the girdle um, and how to do that they talk about hammer work um, and uh, using your 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 burnisher tool where you are seating it around there uh, they talk about polishing it says any abrasive used to polish silver or gold are safe to use on this uh, uh, created moissanite and you can also use heat or steam to clean your stone as you would a diamond do not tumble polish the gems um, that are already set uh, as as that would uh, have a high chance of chipping the stone and then there's ultrasonic machines they said that single jewelry pieces set with moissanite are safe to clean in ultrasonic but multiple jewelry items each piece on a hook so that they do not collide with other pieces and you can use in either a hot or cold solution well, they talk about repairs they talk about acids um, for the jewelry they talk about everything there so you can check that out so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, be sure and check out our links. I'll leave, I'll leave a link in the description. And remember, rockhounds don't die. They petrify.